And now, here's this episode of the Elevating IT Podcast, sponsored by Audit. Welcome to the uh, show today, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and listening on the recording or listening live if you're here live. Uh, I am with Justin Reinmuth today. Justin, thanks for being here. I appreciate it, Mike. It's good to see you. Good to see you, man. We're going to talk cyber liability and liability insurance today. Uh, everybody's favorite topic is insurance. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a really, 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 really important topic because, and, and don't get scared away by thinking, oh my God, I don't want to listen about insurance. If you're listening to this, you stumbled upon this recording or you jumped on live. This is a really, really interesting and important topic for MSPs who are protecting their clients from what's going on. We're going to, we're going to dive into some, some crazy stuff. Me and Justin were talking about this last week and my, if I had hair, it would have been standing on end. <laughs> so uh, let's see. So I want to start off by asking you just explain who you are, what tech rug is. And I have to, now that we're on the, on the call, cause I've never asked you this. I've known you for a long time. Where'd that name come from, Tech Rug? I, I need to know what it means. Yeah, it's a good question. So, um, you know, I guess just a little bit of background, you know, about myself. Um, you know, I had an IT partner with several, uh, actually two other partners back uh, down in Dallas, Texas, in the uh, late '90s, early part of 2000. And uh, we did. I know there's some stories out there. There was an MSP. It actually wasn't. Uh, we did a lot of, um, you know, application development, project-based business. Um, and back then in the late 90s, we also did IT staffing because that's kind of just what you did. It was Y2K. The computer systems were going to blow up. And, you know, you had DB2 programmers that were making used to making $30 an hour that were making 50. So um, anyways, everything went offshore uh, development wise. And so um, our two of our larger clients, uh, which was 95 percent of our business at a young age, I learned diversification real quick because when you go to sell your company, you know, you get like pennies on the dollar type thing. But I had my two other partners just didn't want to develop that offshore model. Um, so we ended up, you know, basically getting rid of it. And um, I moved back to Columbus, Ohio, just because uh, my wife and I wanted to be closer to family because we had no family down there and got involved in insurance. And maybe like some of the people, MSPs on this call that are dealing with the local agent, I was that local agent that would write landscapers, bakeries, homes, autos. Um, but I did a lot of professional liability for accountants, architects, engineers, um, IT companies. And I just felt, you know, that I just related to those type of policies better than I did people's personal home and autos. It wasn't very exciting. So um, yeah, I happened to be sitting down with a client. I think it was again, late eight, oh eight. And they said, wow, you know, you understand it. Is this something you specialize in? So, you know, started working with local uh, IT service providers around the Columbus area, Ohio. Um, and then again, fast forward today, you know, we represent over 1600 MSPs in 50 states on their insurance needs. So they could range anywhere from, you know, something as simple as business insurance and workers comp. Most people, honestly, they'll come to us for more complex needs like cyber liability, errors and omissions insurance, uh, management liability, uh, first and third party crime. Uh, so that's kind of what we do. Um, you know, in, for, in terms of tech rug, it stands for the technology risk underwriting group. So, yeah. So when we, when we first came out, it was like, okay, hi, I'm Justin Rymuth with the Technology Risk Underwriting Group, or hi, I'm Justin with TechRug. And you get going, and it seems like TechRug just rolled off your tongue a little bit better. Right. Um, so we tried it both ways. We didn't introduce ourselves that, and I think TechRug just kind of ended up sticking, and, and, and that's what we were using today. But again, it stands for the Technology Risk Underwriting Group. That makes a lot of sense. I, I thought, you know, 
I wonder what, a, like, I get tech, but rug. I'm trying to think, like, is there, you know, putting a rug under people? Or, right. you know, right. <laughs> it's not cool. So insurance, uh, I mean, I remember, you know, and you were, you actually were my agent for E&O insurance when I yep. was, a mar you know, marketing agency back a couple of years ago. And things have got gotten a lot more sophisticated with insurance needs over the past few years, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I think that the one takeaway that MSPs have to understand is that you're dealing with an unregulated policy. So if you're going to talk about, you know, quote unquote, regulated policies, I would say that would be your auto policy. I mean, it doesn't really matter whether you go with progressive, all state, Geico, you know, if you wreck your three year old Ford, they're going to give you the value of the three year old Ford. I can't tell you the number of times I just reviewed one yesterday for a not a client, but a prospect in uh, Wisconsin that wanted to switch over. And he said, hey, how does yours compare to mine? And he had no first party coverages. And during the conversation, I had asked him, what are two of the things that scare you? You know, like what keeps you up at night? And one of the things he brought up was kind of what's going on, a ransomware attack against my MSP. I said, you have no cyber extortion. So in that policy, if he were to get hit today, and the ransom is $150,000. He's self-insuring $150,000. He has no coverage. You know, They also had put a failure to backup exclusion on his policy. When you read it, Mike, what the exclusion says is that, hey, if the backup doesn't work and your client sues you because of costs associated with recreating that data, don't come knock on our door. So there are unregulated policies and different carriers are going to you know, either include different insuring agreements or they might even go one step further and include additional exclusions, you know? So I think that's the biggest takeaway is understanding that, you know, these are specialized policies. So you need to get with somebody that specializes, but it would be no different than any other industry. I mean, if you look at a doctor, you know, if you've got a heart problem, you know, you don't go to your ear, nose and throat guy, right? Or if you've got, you know, a, a specialty type of an engineer, a structural engineer, you know, you got to go to somebody that specializes in structural engineers or else it's probably not going to turn out well. So that's probably what I would tell you with everything going on. I mean, MSP is being targeted and unfortunately we haven't seen a stop to it quite yet um, is is realizing, you know, this policy, if you want it to trigger, you've got to make sure that you've got the right policy for your organization, because if you don't, that's where you hear stories. Well, insurance never works. Well, a lot of times when I review it, I'm like, well, yeah, it didn't work because you had an exclusion for that or you took out the policy and it was the wrong policy. Um, these policies are still what I would say are pretty affordable and they're still very, very broad. So, yeah, and that's last last time you want to find out your insurance policy is not good is after you have to file a claim. Right. So, you know, the other uh, thing I would say, Mike, that's important is a lot of these carriers, you know, if you've been on these legacy type policies, um, they're not updating them. So in other words, you know, it's, it's I guess it's kind of like your iPhone, right? I mean, if you go out and you secure back in 2015, a quote unquote iPhone two, you know, in 2020, they're not going to give you an iPhone 10. You're still going to have the same insuring agreements and the same, you know, uh, uh, you know, maybe exclusions or sublimits that might be on the policy. Well, again, I would ask people in the audience, do you think the technology solutions you were offering in 2015 are just as good today? No, I mean, you're offering different services like 2FA that weren't, you know, important five years ago, but they are today. So be careful. That's the one thing I see. If you keep letting these policies just renew, 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 and there's little effort put into the renewal, A, the carrier is probably, um, you know, uh, uh, hiding behind maybe some exclusions if the barrier to entry isn't isn't necessarily difficult. And you got to make sure that the policy is keeping up to date and up to speed with what's going on in the MSP community.
How long, how, how often do you think you're like, what do you recommend for your clients? Like should, how often should MSPs be talking to you or, or whoever their agent is uh, to make sure that they're covered? Like he, I would assume you do some kind of review with your clients a yearly or month or. Yeah. yeah. Usually it's done at renewal, but you know, obviously we're here anytime. So, you know, you get some clients that you know, really just want to go over us a lot of this stuff at renewal. And then we get other clients that'll call us, you know, two or three times during the year. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that MSPs need to understand is that, you know, in 2015, insurance was enough. In 2020, insurance is not enough. You got to have certain risk management and risk transfer techniques. If you don't, and your only reliance is on this insurance policy, even if it's well-written and you get hit and 10 of your clients are taken down and you got a million dollar policy, you might not make it. You know, and what do I mean by that? Like contract use, you know, are you using an MSA? Has your MSA been updated? Does your MSA require the client to carry cyber? Uh, you know, again, it's an evolving market and they need to continue, MSPs need to continue to evolve in their risk management and risk transfer techniques, because if not, you know, it could get you into trouble. Interesting. I will circle back to that, but I want to ask you um, if you're seeing more cases now and claims with COVID, you know, during that period, like have things changed? Have they gotten worse, better, stayed the same? Yeah, that's a great question. It's actually, it, it has gotten worse. And so not necessarily the ransomware attacks, you know, against MSPs, because um, that seems to I don't know, continue at the pace it is. So if you want to say level off, it's not a good pace, right? Um, but the, the, to answer your question, yeah, the uh, disturbing trend that we've seen since March is that what we call is notice of circumstances. So an MSP is essentially coming to us and saying, hey, Tech Rug, something happened to our client. We aren't being sued yet, but they're indicating that it might be our problem. So kind of the answer to your question is a lot of the MSP's clients, and I totally get it, right? They don't know what tomorrow brings. So they don't want to spend you know, additional money on certain security service offerings, right? Hmm. But the problem for the MSP is that if they aren't recommending these certain security standards and something is to happen, right? The attorney on the other side is going to question them in court. Why does the accounting firm down the street have QFA on their email and my client doesn't and they're an accounting firm? You know, outside of following a standard or you testified in front of Congress and have all these credentials after your last name, you're going to get hit hard. But again, it would be no different in any other industry. I mean, if if a doctor right treats a cancer patient one way with chemotherapy and another way with holistic medicine and he gets sued by the holistic medicine option, you know, he wasn't following the AMA standard, you know. So what we've seen is, again, a notice, uh, uh, I think it's up 60 percent from this time last year, a notice of circumstance where MSPs are saying, hey, something happened to the client. Maybe it was a lot of the clients are you know, applying for government funding, for example, the PPP or the CARES Act. And so they're getting these emails and going, oh, yeah, well, I didn't apply for that PP. This is a legit email. And it's a ransomware attack, right? Or a link that, that allows somebody in the network. Or they're getting tricked into sending money to someone they shouldn't have. Um, you know, a lot of our MSPs will tell us that before they might have had 5% of their clients, employees working from home. Now it's 95%. You know, so they're using a home firewall built into the router. That's not a good solution. So the cyber industry or the cyber carriers are also seeing an uptick in what we call standalone cyber claims. So the lawyers, the uh, doctors, the nonprofits, the end client for the MSPs, they're seeing an uptick in claims. And MSPs got to be careful because if the clients aren't following your security recommendations and they don't have a cyber policy, all of a sudden their negligence is probably going to try to get pushed back and become your negligence. And you got to be careful. Wow.
So, and, and you, you're with risk management and risk transfer, I assume you're talking about the, the other things they do, the MSPs uh, do other than getting insurance, right? They have to have insurance, but they also have to have be selling certain things, right? Or be doing certain things when they're selling. So what things should MSPs be selling? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, I would say, you know, we, we tell our clients all the time, you know, you need to make it a we approach, a team approach, as opposed to I'm going to dictate to you approach, you know? And so there are standards out there for MSPs and guidelines to follow the NIST cybersecurity framework, ISO, COBE. Pick a standard, sit down with your client and say, as your outsourced CIO, because again, pick big picture, you know, pick a Fortune 500 company, AT&T, Verizon, American Express. The MSP is the CIO of, of American Express. Their client is the CEO of American Express. I will tell you right now, if the CIO of American Express doesn't have the necessary security in place and is not either A, making the, the, the CEO aware or B, letting the CEO call the shots, if there is a situation, the CEO is not going to go down. He's going to go right back at the CIO and go, why didn't you tell me, right? So I think that MSPs, when I'm talking about risk management, and risk transfer techniques, they need to be sitting down to the client with the client and saying, hey, just like a doctor has to follow the AMA guidelines or just like an uh, attorney has to follow, you know, the bar in their in their state. You know, we need to be we need to follow the guidelines that are dictated to me, to us by the government. This is NIST. Here's a list of some things you have to have in place. If you don't want to have these things in place, that's fine. But I need to get, again, we tell our clients because they represent certain things when you come to TechRow, we make them go through a risk assessment. One of the things we ask them is, do you provide rec written recommendations to your clients? So it's an easy pushback for our MSPs because they say, you know, we make certain, um, uh, you know, uh, when we're filling out our application or going through the renewal process, right? Uh, you, we represent certain things to the insurance carrier. If we aren't doing those things, Mr. or Mrs. Client, this isn't good because if you have to go use this policy and they come back and say, oh, I thought you guys were following, you know, these guidelines or going through, you know, <clears throat> these written security recommendations and you aren't, the MSPs have an easy pushback like, hey, the policy might not work and I don't have a million dollars sitting in the bank. So what do you want to do? Do you want to implement all this security? If not, here are the 40 things I'm going to offer you. You're only picking 10. By signing this, you're, you're ma I'm making you aware that these 30 offerings you're choosing not to take and you're self-insuring. So don't knock on my door when the local backup gets hit with ransomware and you can't pull a backup inaccessible from the network. I have that. Uh, I have your risk assessment here. Does it make sense to kind of go through that, show that? And, yeah, and I, I think I'd given you one, Mike. I looked right before I, you know, shame on me. Uh, it's an older one, but, you know, we've we've added some stuff just like, again, I was telling you, you know, MSPs kind of up in their service offerings. We've added some stuff, but that kind of just gives you an idea of the risk assessment. And that, that one we'd used up until, uh, you know, probably 18 months ago. Uh, we did, you know, update it and we've asked uh, probably 50, 55 uh, additional questions and our risk engineering team is working on another 10 or 15 more that our clients will go through next renewal that they didn't you know, this renewal. So, you know, we're just trying to prevent, you know, because insurance, I always tell them it, it's a reactionary product. In other words, you're coming to me because something bad had happened. If we can do anything to make sure that that doesn't happen, right, as much as we can contribute, we're going to try to do it. Now, the policy, again, will work, but it's, you know, there's sometimes some expectation that MSPs have like, oh, well, if a client leaves me six months into a 36-month agreement, will the insurance company pay us for the next 30 months? No, they won't. You know, the purpose of insurance is to bring you to where you were at before the time of the loss. If somebody decides 
you know, two months after the ransomware attack, that they're going to go to the MSP that's been calling them for two years down the road, the carrier is not going to pay that lost business interruption. Makes sense. Yeah, this is a pretty in-depth document. So, and this is something you go through with your MSP client or they go through with their client? Well, I think, I think it's a good checklist, right? You know, to maybe sit down with your clients because, you know, then you're telling them, hey, here are some of the things we're representing to the carrier that we have to have in place, you know? So, it could serve as a good checklist by saying, you know, I'm telling them we're doing these certain things. Again, if we're not doing these certain things and we got to use the policy and the policy doesn't respond, that's not good for me or you. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'll stop sharing here and get back to my questions. Yeah. Um, so obviously the MSPs need to have their own insurance protecting themselves. What about the clients? Like, do, do you recommend their clients get insurance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, a great, another great question. It's, it's, to me, it's mandatory, you know, because, you know, MSPs have cyber for their negligence. Clients need cyber for their negligence. What do I mean by that? If you have a client that leaves an unencrypted laptop in the back of a Lyft or an Uber in an AMA conference, and they've got to know 200, notify $200,000 worth of people, that's a them problem, not the MSP problem, right? If the if the client, the MSP's client, sends two hundred fifty thousand dollars to someone they shouldn't have, that's a them problem, not an MSP problem. And if you're not careful, again, what we kind of talked a little bit about earlier is if they don't have a cyber policy and that cherry tree in their backyard to go pick off of if things go wrong, it's kind of the drowning person syndrome, right? You got two people that drown, and your natural instinct is push the other person to the bottom so you can get to the top. You know, right. so they're going to push their business to the top and push you to the bottom and say, well, why didn't you tell me? And again, with the standards that you got to live up to, if you aren't following this for each and every client, you know, I've, I've been on these court cases. The lawyers will drill you. Why do certain clients have A, B and C and my client only has A and B? What determination did you make that they don't need C? So it's much easier if a client is victim to a cyber incident, if they can just go and collect from their insurance policy. So because the MSPs aren't careful, you know, when you go through some of these vendor contracts, not, it's you know not that it's right or wrong. I mean, Microsoft's going to limit their liability as much as they can. They spend a lot of money on lawyers to do that. But, you know, MSPs are potentially carrying billions of dollars of liabilities from their vendors. And if they're not cautious and clients aren't doing you know certain things, then $100 million is coming back at them with client liability. And now they're stuck in between billions of dollars of vendors and $100 million of clients. That's not a dance I want to go to alone. Wow. Crazy. Uh, and now if people are watching, you know, for, for those watching live, if you have a question for Justin, put in the comments, whether you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, just put a comment in and we will uh, get that answered for you. If you're listening to this on the recording, you're always welcome to go back to this post on Facebook or YouTube, find it and leave a comment. We'll get uh, get an answer for you or certainly uh, and Justin, you know, we'll, we'll share Justin's contact info so you can get in touch with him. Because if you haven't taken a look at your policy in a while, you might want to talk to this man. Um, I got one more question for you here. Um, so one of the things that I hear a lot with audit is a big question I get asked is, is how do I, what should I do if these folks refuse service? Um, and some, some of our clients will tell us different things. You know, some, some will tell us what they do, right? Like I know some, some of our users use audit for business reviews. So they're going, sitting with their clients 
and some new thing ha comes up, right? There's with, with what's going on in the marketplace. Now there's always a new, especially in cyber, some kind of new protection or new service that these MSPs add to their stack and they bring it to the client. They want the client to, to understand what it is and upgrade to it. And the client's sitting over there going, well, you know, I don't want to buy something more. They'll make, sometimes our, our users will have them sign the audit. Yeah. What do you recommend they should be doing if they're not, you know, they're not, the, the customers is refusing to do something that we know they have to do. And does, does that open us to liability? Yeah, I think, you know, it depends on the MSP, but we hear one of two courses. Some are pretty stringent, actually come up with some sort of waiver letter where, you know, it's a, a kind of a release of liability letter, um, you know, and, and it seems, you know, to work with some clients, I think it's also good. Sometimes it can be a revenue generating activity where the client actually sees, hey, listen, I've got to sign this, you know, release a liability letter. How much again was that backup that's inaccessible from the network, right? So we've heard back that it's a good revenue generating activity, um, but we have other clients that'll say, hey, I'm still gonna work with you, right? But I'm gonna provide you with a critical action letter. One's gonna go on your file, one's gonna go in my file, and we're gonna give one to the insurance carrier. And so if anything goes wrong, I mean, I think you can use these in QBRs or yearly meetings, right? But I think, you know, MSPs have to make a conscious decision to say, if we go to court and I hand this manila folder to the attorney, do I have a defendable position in court? If the answer is no, you better start making it so it's a defendable position in court. You know, if you've got, you know, an MSA sign, you've got several critical action letters in there, you've got where you've recommended standards. You know, Mike, at some point, you know, I don't know how much more they can do. I would say, you know, and and, and we, we we do this at TechRec. I mean, if we get a, a 200 credit score client, we just don't work with them. They're too high hazard. If we get a 500 credit score client, we work with them, you know, as long as they agree to help get to an 800 credit score. And if we get our 800 credit score clients, you know, we answer their calls on Christmas Eve, right? Because they're great clients. So, right. you know, I would say the same thing is that if you get a client and they're saying, hey, listen, you know what? I, I absolutely will not get a business grade firewall, for example. I'm just going to rely on the firewall in my router to help protect all this PHI and PII. I would walk from that client, you know, because it really is getting to the point. I see it on the claims. It's almost not an if, but a when it's going to happen. Is it going to happen in two weeks, two months, or two years? And I would ask you, those two or three clients that are grossly negligent, 200 credit score clients, is it really worth losing your firm over those two or three clients? I would say no. You're better off, again, pitching cyber and making sure that your clients are carrying that cyber because the insurance carriers, I was reading an article uh, that was talking about how they're tired of paying cyber claims. So something that one of the carriers brought up, it's mandatory you have 2FA on email. So just by going through the exercise of mandating and, 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 and recommending that your clients carry cyber insurance, you know, you could probably grow five or 10% mushroom those accounts by just having your clients comply with the cyber requirements on their cyber policy that the carriers are putting out there. So, you know, I think, again, going back to your question, whether it's a waiver letter or a critical action letter, you've got to do something because we've got to have something at Manila folder when we go to court. Because if not, and you've got 12 of your peers that are sitting in a jury box, the lawyer's going to make it pretty clear. My client cracks backs and cleans teeth. They don't do technology. If they thought they should have it, why wasn't it there? Wow. And you have clients all over the country. I, I don't know if you have clients outside of the country or not, but where where are the, are there worse states than others or is it like the same wherever you are? 
Yeah, I mean, we so we only operate in the U.S. and that's just purely from a licensing issue. Um, we've had a ton of requests and I might look again this coming up summer uh, for Canada, but it was just the process was a little tedious and the cost uh, was rather expensive. Um, I think it was like one of the province was like basically the whole what we pay all year for all the licenses in 50 states was just one province in Canada. So, it you know, it was like it's pretty expensive. But um if companies are headquartered in the U.S., but they do, we've got a lot of our, you know, 50, 100, 150 million dollar MSPs that have other operations outside of the country. Uh, you know, we absolutely I mean, the policy is worldwide and we can take out some international GL. So all of our clients right now, we've got actively, again, all clients in all 50 states. Um, you know, some client or I'm sorry, some states are a little bit more stringent on the privacy laws, California, New York than other states. Um, but again, this is just my feeling. I think in the next four or five years, we'll have some U.S. version of GDPR uh, in all 50 states. It happened with the privacy laws where, you know, there are a couple of states had privacy laws on the books. Now, today, everybody does. So in time, again, just my feeling, I think there'll be some U.S. version of GDPR that will be in every state. So to answer your question, I don't think it really the way the policy responds, a ransomware attacks, a ransomware attack, whether it's in Utah or Ohio. Right. If you lose client data, whether you're in Texas or Florida, it's just making sure that the policy is properly written. Gotcha. This is great. Good stuff. So let's um, get, tell people how they can get in touch with you to make sure that they're covered. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I think audit IT might have some stuff, but if not, uh, the website is techrug.com, T-E-C-H-R-U-G.com. And there's a, uh, you can submit information there and it'll go to, uh, you know, one of the staff and we'll make sure that we get back to you as fast as we can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Justin. Really appreciate it. It's great seeing you. Hopefully I'll see you again soon in person on the road. Get back to normal. Absolutely, Mike. No, it was great seeing you, man. Stay healthy. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you having me on this afternoon.